Welcome to another episode of Living and Ultra Life. And this week, we are joined by a guy that I've been following for a while because he is just a beast in the ultra running world and the multi-day races. And man, I am so excited to be joined by Mr. Bob Hearn. Bob, you ready to go for a run? <laughs> sure. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So let's start out with, tell us a little bit about who Bob Hearn is and when he's not running big time races and we'll start with that. Okay. Um, I don't really, these days I don't really have a day job. I'm pretty much a full-time runner. I, um, I suppose you could say I'm a retired software guy. Um, at least I'm not, uh, currently involved in any startups. Uh, my background growing up, I was a computer math nerd, mostly not at all really um athletic it didn't start running till i was uh, 38 and um just kind of took off from there that was um almost 20 years ago now that's amazing so you did not start running until you were 38 yeah that's incredible but now your professional life you have done a number of startups haven't you yeah mm -hmm. so that's that's pretty cool and all in the software world uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, most cool. If your older listeners might remember this program called Claris works. It was a Mac Mac program that was very popular in the nineties and it was later renamed to Apple works. Although that was somewhat confusing because there were three totally different products called Apple works. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. That was the most successful, um, venture I was a part of. Cool. And have you always lived on the West coast or. I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, went to school in Texas at, at Rice and uh, then moved out to the Bay Area. But I've lived lots of other places in between Oregon, Washington, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, um, British Columbia. Oh, cool. I've been around, but we've been back in the Bay Area for the last 10 years. Awesome. Awesome. So now, how did the running start? What what kind of prompted starting running? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I met my, um, my future wife um, right when I... Um, you know, my freshman year of, of college and she was a runner and I kind of wanted to impress her. So I sort of tried to start running, but it, it just didn't really stick. And um, wasn't till uh, we moved to Vancouver in uh, 2004, I guess she took a faculty position there that uh, place we were was surrounded by all these wonderful running trails and, um, I got talked into this team entry for a big 10K, which was farther than I had ever run. And so I thought, okay, well, I better pull my weight. So I looked up some training plans and discovered that, oh, if I have a goal that I'm training for and following a plan, that sort of, you know, feeds more into my personality type of being, um, you know, analytical and trying to accomplish something and uh, I, I got excited about that. And then after that, I had to do a half and then I had to do a marathon. And then gradually it just moved up to the longer and, and longer races. And, and my, you know, my over the years, my attitude has changed as, as well about running. I guess from the very beginning, it was something that was a different sort of activity than my normal, you know, puzzle solving, computer programming, theorem proving self it was a way of existing and using my mind in a very different way and i appreciated that but 
I always sort of brought this analytical side to bear on my races as well, which began to pay off once I, you know, turned 50 and moved up to the longer stuff. I was able to start setting age group records. And I, I attributed that success to my, you know, analytical approach. But uh, in recent years, that sort of changed back to where I'm really focusing more on the experience itself, especially for the multi-days. That's more important to me now than the results and, and the records. That's amazing. So how, what was your very first ultra distance race? So I was really active in this club called Marathon Maniacs. And um, if you're a maniac, you want to get a lot of maniac stars. And that means you have to do all sorts of you know, running lots of marathons close together in various combinations. And so the first time I ran two marathons in one weekend, my mind said, oh, if you can do that, you can run a 50 miler. And that's actually easier than two marathons back to back. So come do this White River 50 with me. It'll be fun. <laughs> and uh, White River 50, for those who don't know, is um, it's got like 8,000 feet of gain. It's a trail race. And I was not familiar with the world of, of trail running or ultra running at all. And this was like 2008 before it really sort of took off. And so White River 50 just about killed me. And it was a while before I did another ultra. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Might as well start with one of the hardest 50s out there, right? Yeah. There yeah. you go. That is cool. So now you in the last, I mean, eight years have pretty much, I would say, I'm, I'm going to say exploded onto my radar screen because it was probably i want to say 2014 2015 where all of a sudden i started seeing your name and going okay this bob hern dude can run did you so because you had run a bunch of stuff like you've run a bunch of hundreds before then and yeah. everything yeah what changed was it just your was it your approach to running that changed for you at that point or what well, two things. One is I went keto in 2014. I'd run Western States in 2012 and 2014. And I went to this um, sports and medicine little workshop right before Western States in Olympic Valley, now called. <laughs> and Steve Finney was there giving some talks about this study that he and some others had done and gave me some copies of his books about low carb training and I was, I was very skeptical at the time, but um, I could see the numbers that he was putting up from comparison of the low carb and high carb runners at Western States the previous year. And it was enough to get me to read the books and think, what the hell, and give it a try. And I've kind of never looked back. I, I don't think low carb is necessarily for everyone. It, I think it really suits the kind of races that, that I choose to focus on. And I, I can get back to that in more detail later if you're interested. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, the other thing was that's when I started running 24 hour races and um, I'm, I'm an okay trail runner, you know, 24, I, my, my two Western States were 27 something and 23 something. I got my silver buckle on the second try. Um, I was never going to be top 10 at, at Western States. Even if I had started, started younger, um, I don't think I would have been. I'm I'm much more naturally a, a long road runner, and I didn't really discover that till um, I guess it was New Year's 2014-15 that I ran my first 24-hour, and um, it 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 clicked. Um, 
both the, the, the being keto, I think helped me quite a bit on the nutritional front, but, um, yeah, I don't know something, something about, um, long road races just suits my personality or my skills better than, than trail races. There's so much technical stuff to learn in trail running. Um, and you know, there's also lots of very accomplished low carb trail runners, but I think it works best for the long flat stuff where you don't really need any bursts of energy. The whole point of it is for me that uh, if I train low carb, then I train my body to be much more efficient at burning fat. And so if I'm able to access my fat reserves a lot more, then I don't need to consume as many calories. On the flip side, I sort of sacrifice a little bit of my carb burning capacity, which is what you need for the higher power stuff like hills, for example. Right. So if right. I'm running long flat stuff with no hills and I never have to run faster than a nine minute mile, I, I could pretty much fuel that with body fat. So, so that's a win. There's also something about my psychology, I think, that makes me suited. You know, 24 hour is something that I was immediately good at. I, I ran that one race and that got me into the Desert Solstice Invitational the next year where I had just turned 50 and I set the over 50 age group record and I beat Joe Fegius, who was who I was terrified of because right. he was a legend. He had also just turned 50. And so we were we were pretty um, intense age group rivals there for, for quite a while. So yeah, I, I mean, it's, I think it's going keto and switching to the long road stuff, which just suits me better. Yeah. And it, you can tell because I mean, you look at your pre 2014 and your post 2014 and yeah, you've, you've nailed down some incredible measures. What's your best 24 hour race? Uh, I ran 154 miles at desert solstice, uh, 2018. Wow. Did that and qualify was, you for the U S team? No, <laughs> no. Okay. That's, that's been my albatross ever since that first 24 hour. That was my top goal was to make the 24 hour team. And, um, for the 2015 team, I was about five miles short and then it went to every other year. It had been every year until that point. And so 2017, I ran a ton of 24 hours and I was three, I ran 152 something and I was 300 feet short. Oh my gosh. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. For 2019, I had that 154 and I was a mile short. 2021, I didn't qualify, but worlds was canceled anyway. Right. And 2023, I, I didn't qualify. I kind of, I've lost heart a little bit and right. I was injured all year last year. This summer, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to the dome if I wanted to 24 hours in the dome okay, and make one last shot at qualifying, but I chose to run hots in ball state instead, because, um, honestly, I've just beat my head against 24 hour too many times. And I, I was also pretty sure I was not in shape to run 150 miles. Right. Um, and in fact, 150 because there were a couple more qualifiers would not have made the team anyway. Yeah, isn't it like 156 or something this year? No, it's 151 something, I think. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's a little crazy. slower year. I don't know if that's because of COVID or what exactly, but we're a little light, you know, compared to the last couple teams at Worlds. So fingers It'll crossed. Be interesting. <laughs> yep. Be interesting. So HOTS, how many times have you run it now? Uh, this was the first first time at Hots. Okay, so this is the first time, and yeah. now, but Vol State, you've done more than once, right? Yeah, this is this was my third time at Vol State. Okay, 
And you do you you hold the record for Vol State now, right? right. Okay. Right. Exactly. And that's three days, right? Three, three days, days four hours. Three days, four hours. And yeah. this year you you were chasing somebody, which must have been rare. Did that feel weird? Um it did a little bit. I mean, I um yeah, Ken had never run that long before, Ken C. Mack, who won the race. And um, I knew him from Spartathlon. We met there at my first Spartathlon in 2015. And he's, we're both MIT PhDs, um, similar kinds of runners, similar age. I guess he's like three years younger. Um, and he picked my brain quite, you know, for months before Vol State. And I could tell that he was really serious about it. Um, at the same time, he told me his goal was under five days. And I told him, you know, no way, you should definitely be under four days. And yeah, he ran three days, 17 hours. Yeah. And um, yeah, it wasn't so much, um, you know, it was a little, it was, I mean, it was unusual. Well, actually, no, my first of all states, um, 2020, I was chasing Francesca Machini the whole race and I couldn't catch her. Right. <laughs> I, I had started a little too conservatively. And by the time I realized halfway through the race that she wasn't going to fall apart or need a long sleep, uh, it was really too late. I ran, I think, 111 miles in the last 24 hours in that race, and I still couldn't quite catch her. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So it wasn't that. And then and then 2021, when I set the course record, I was ahead pretty much the whole race. But this year, no, I was I was not surprised to see Ken ahead of me, certainly through the first 24 hours. Um, I expected that after that, I would start to pick people off. But um, I think the biggest thing for me at Vol State was um, my lack of, of heat training. And that goes down to me being really indecisive about doing it, deciding kind of at the last minute to, to jump in for various reasons. But right. Um, and I was still recovering from hots. Um, three that was going to be my next question. I mean, it's because you only had two weeks before between hots and fall state, right? Uh, three, three and a half. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, they started four weeks apart and, um, yeah, it took me four days to finish. How, what did you do to recover from fall state to get ready for, or from hots to get ready for fall state? Well, that's the thing is I wasn't thinking about fall state. Okay. Um, I was thinking possibly about third circle of hell, which is this other race that last yep, has that's, starts, yeah, tomorrow. starts tomorrow. Yeah. Um, because I um, was convinced that I had not gotten in from the lottery to run Spartathlon, which is my favorite race. And um, so that freed up the possibility of running third circle. And then as I realized that I was recovering pretty well from HOTS, I sort of began to think, well, you know, could I actually do all three? Is that remotely feasible? Um, but then at the last minute, I did get into Spartathlon. Um, they found some more spots and pulled me off the wait list. And that meant that third circle was um, not a possibility, too close to, right. to Spartathlon. And that meant that I really did want to run Wall State if I thought that I were recovered enough. And, and, it's been a weird year this year and you know, my body and my mind are different in some ways. Last year, I mentioned I was injured all year last year. This year I did a six day race in France in April and um, didn't hit the numbers I was after, but reasonably successful race. And I got through it without injury and it was, it was a 
big plus for me to be healthy again and not have any disasters. Uh, you know, like I DNF Spartathlon last year, for example. Oh, wow. And, um, so I felt good about that. And then, you know, I was sort of thinking about HOTS, which was two months later. I never really got into a training groove, but I felt like nothing was wrong and I might as well give it a shot. And I knocked it out of the park at HOTS. And then I took a couple of weeks off after HOTS. And when I went out to run, it's, um, you know, normally after a really big race like that, I'll take a couple of weeks off and I'll go out to run and it will feel very unnatural. Like I'm running in an alien body that has to relearn everything about running. Right. And this time after HOTS, when I went out to run, it was, I was just running and I was full of energy and everything felt great. And it's like, ah, yeah, this is what my body wants to do. Let's go do some more of these multi-day things and get back out there where, you know, that's the way that life is meant to be lived. And that's it was awesome. really strange. And so I didn't really have much training between HOTS and Ball State. And, you know, in, in hindsight, the lack of heat training was just idiotic. Um, I had like one sauna day, but I sort of, to the extent that I was thinking about it at all, I was thinking, well, I ran HOTS, you know, and I did some sauna training before HOTS and that should carry over. But HOTS itself was not actually that hot. It wasn't that much heat training. And the forecast right before Vol State was that it was going to be overcast for, you know, several days. And that did not pan out. I was going to say, do you believe weathermen anymore? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I should certainly have known better. But um, when the sun came out, it just, it just did me in. And so, yeah, I would have liked to have chased Ken, but it was, it was just off the table. Once I saw that the, the fourth day was uh, going to be clear the whole day and the stretch of road that I was going to be on during that period, it was like, nope. I'm getting an umbrella at Dollar General and walking and um, I can do the math and see that I can do three miles an hour and still come in under four days. And um, if things change and I feel great, I'll kick it up. If Ken falls apart, maybe that'll give me enough energy. But um, he did his heat training, unlike me, <laughs> right? <laughs> and stayed stayed out of reach. And so I was lacking any real motivation to do. I did want to come in under four days. Um, just sort of as a matter of, of self-respect. It's yep. you know, keeping it consistent, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's not, it's certainly by far the slowest of my three vol states, but um, under four is like, you know, it's an analog of like a sub three marathon or something, you know, it's like, it's okay. If I can do that, I want it. That's worth a little bit of effort. Yep. So when do you leave for Spartathlon? Uh, so that's actually not till the end of September. Okay. So, I mean, literally it would be theoretically possible to run, um, third circle and run Spartathlon, but I know that I would not be, um, hundred percent for Spartathlon and having, having DNF'd, um, I want to actually, uh, for once this year, have a legitimate solid training cycle behind me going into a race. Cool. Um, so that's, yeah, I'll, I'll leave here like September 24th or something and spend a few days on a Greek Island and. And then run Spartathlon. And Spartathlon is how long? 153 miles. Okay. So what's the, your, what do you theoretically think you can do it in? Well, I've, I have four finishes and one DNF. My finishes have all been under 30 hours. There's, there's a 36 hour cutoff and mine have all been between 27 and, and 30 hours. I've always wanted to run under 27 and, and, or finish in the top 10. 
Um, and so probably that, that would be my goal again this year. Awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. There you <laughs> yeah, go. That's my best desert solstice was five years ago. My best partathlon was five years ago. And, um, 52 to 57 is starts, starts to make a difference. But yeah. then my best race ever was Vol State two years ago. So, right. So yeah, th that th throws that theory kind of out, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you train for these multi-day events, Bob. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I really, you know, this year I can't say I really trained. It's, it's more like the six day was good training for HOTS and HOTS was good training for Vol State. And I can sort of get away with that because uh, the pace that I'm running um, doesn't do the same kind of damage as, you know, a hundred mile race or even a 24 hour race that will really beat you up. And um, six days, you know, my first six day race that I did all six days, actually, I was out for many, many months after that, but it's gotten to the point where um, my body is accustomed to running for multiple days at, you know, a comfortable pace and taking sleep breaks now and then. And it seems to be more of, um, you know, th there's, there's competing things It's breaking my body down, but there also is a training stimulus. And it seems to be uh, that I can get, a, I can basically treat it as training. <laughs> right. Um, it, you know, nominally what I would say is if I want to train for, anything really long, a 24 hour or a multi-day, I would like to be doing 70, 80 mile weeks for a couple of months, at least, um, ideally peaking over a hundred for two or three weeks. Um, but it's rare that it actually goes, you know, literally according to plan like that. Still, that's, that's what I'll aim for for Spartathlon. Okay. So when you do your training plan, because everybody always wonders about this, do you have like a written out plan, training plan or is this more of a feel type of thing? Well, what I'll generally do is several months before a race, I have a spreadsheet and I'll go and I'll put down some ideal weekly mileage totals for every week leading up to the race. Uh, and those will certainly get adjusted as, as time progresses. And then at the beginning of every week on Monday, I'll go and I'll say, okay, I have to run 80 miles this week. How am I going to do that? I'll, I'll map it out and say doubles these days, long run at the track these days, things like that. Um, doesn't generally include any speed work. Um, if it's going to be a fixed time race on a flat loop, then most of my long runs are going to be at the track. Um, and I'll alternate running and walking. Um, not necessarily on the same schedule as I will during a race. For example, six day race, is probably going to be half running, half walking, but uh, I'm going to be doing more like 90% running, 10% walking in my training. I did try to train for my first six day um, exactly according to the schedule that I would perform during the race, but um, I don't think that's really, really the best. Um, ideally, I would be throwing in some speed work, but it never seems to work because um, I'm always on the verge of or recovering from some tendon injury or other that, that limits my speed. And uh, right now I don't have any, any red flags. So I may try to incorporate some more speed work into my Spartathlon training. Okay. So let's go back to your um, going to keto and mm -hmm. how that has kind of changed in both kind of what you eat on a daily basis. And then how do you get nutrition in during a race? Like what yeah, do you so 
So the first thing to say is that I train keto, but I definitely do not race keto. The point of training keto is to adapt my body to be able to burn fat as a fuel more efficiently. But in a race, all I care about is optimizing performance. Um, so what do I eat? It's changed a little over the years because um, eight, nine years ago when I started doing this, uh, it wasn't, wasn't as popular. There weren't as many substitute foods out there. My, my staples would be, you know, like bacon, eggs in the morning, sometimes yogurt, um, lots of cheese, macadamias, um, salmon for dinner, chicken, uh, avocados are a big staple. All those things are good and they're all still a part of my diet, but increasingly I've added in lots of, you know, like low carb bread, low carb biscuits, low carb chocolate. It's probably not really as good a diet as it was when I first started doing this. Um, it's, it's not that hard to be low carb these days because there's so many low carb substitute foods that are out there. Although it's maybe, maybe not the best low carb diet. Right. Right. Yeah. And then when you're in a race, so two things for when you're in a race, what do you use for nutrition in the, in like multi-day races? And then the other thing I'm really curious about is what your pace is during the multi-day races. Like, you know, when you're running, how much run walk do you do? Do you actually, you know, stick to like a run walk interval or is it more by feel? So kind of shoot on both of those subjects. Yeah. The nutrition, um, is one thing up to about 48 hours. If I'm, you know, 24 hour, 48 hour are very regimented things that are on short loops and you can control your nutrition precisely because, you know, you can get something every loop. And I have, um, for a while I was fueling just with Coke, um, for a while with Morton. Um, now I have my own, um, drink mix that is similar to Morton that I make myself. And if it's up to certainly 24 hours, really 48, although I swore off 48s after my last one, <laughs> it'll pretty much be liquid nutrition. Longer than that, it'll, it'll be more real food. And there's also a difference, you know, if I'm on a six day in a six day race, that's again, something that's on a short loop. But like Volstate or Hots, that's a point-to-point -point thing on the road. Those are very different because if you're on the road, especially if you're screwed at, at Volstate or Hots, you don't have a crew to supply your needs. It's much harder to use your own drink mix or, or whatever. But I wouldn't want to anyway. For, for more than 48 hours, I want to be getting real food. So I probably eat, you know, similar to what other people eat at Vol State, fast food, candy bars. It's just, I, I need less of it because I'm burning more body fat and I'm, I'm less screwed if the restaurant is closed when I go by and I have to go for several hours without calories. That's awesome. So you, and you do all of your like multi-day screwed, right? right? At first Vol State, I was, I was crude. Again, that was a race that I jumped into at the last minute and had no, no heat training. And I thought, whoa, this is going to be trial by fire because I'm going to have to learn how to run this race screwed. But then a friend of mine immediately said, oh, I want to come crew you. And I thought that was wise uh, my first time there, especially not being heat trained. So I have run, I have run Ball State, both crewed and, and, and screwed. But because I now run these races mostly for the experience, I, I do prefer to run them screwed. Right. Um, it's more of just being connected with nature and the countryside and myself and being self-reliant and present and all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah, I found that I ran my first multi-day this February and mm -hmm. did it screwed. And it was such an enjoyable experience to be out there and going, okay, I know I've got to refuel at this point and get more water and fill up my drink mix at this point. But man, just enjoying nature and just, you know, the sunrises and the sunsets and just, yeah. you know, turning off your headlamp in the middle of the night and laying down in the grass and looking up at the stars and just going, man, am I ever privileged to live on a planet like this? Exactly. I mean, it, yeah, it's, that's the, the experience is, is the thing that, that got me about it. Cause I knew I wasn't going to, you know, finish on the podium, but you know, it, the experience was just incredible and yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking about with the experiences. If I finish well, fantastic, but man, <laughs> yeah. I get to see things that a lot of people just will never see and what a privilege. Right. So, right. so where where does Bob go from here? I mean, you're 58, right? 50, uh, 57, close, getting closing in on 58, yeah. Close, okay, so what, what does the future look like for Bob? What would you like to, to do? I don't know. Uh, it's things always feel like they're changing and there's times when I just don't feel like running and that eventually it, it comes back. Certainly altering community is very important to me. All the friends that I've made over the years that I see at races, there's some races like Spartathlon that are very important um, because of the history and the community there. So, you know, for the foreseeable future, I see myself sort of continuing on being a part of this community. Um, Maybe that, you know, my drive, my motivation and my interest will, will change, um, kind of wouldn't be the same to go there just, just to see people, you know, although I, you know, I, I've, I've crewed Spartathlon as well, and that's also satisfying to go help someone else and still be part of the social thing. I used to think, you know, as I got older, well, yeah. I'm sort of at the point where age is becoming a critical thing because, you know, I started running when I was 38. It's been almost 20 years up until last year, I had managed to PR at some distance or other every single year since I started wow. running. And I know, and I know, well, and last year I didn't, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I knew, well, that can't last forever. Last year I was injured all year. I had no PRs. Um, and so I sort of thought, well, there's going to come a point where I'm going to have to be satisfied with age group performances. And I would, at the time, you know, I was running age group records and, you know, maybe I can still do that as I get older. But as, as I said, it's, it's ceased to be that important to me to set an age group record. I've got a bunch of them now and it doesn't really mean, you know, no disrespect to the other people who, whose marks I have superseded. But having done a bunch of them, each new one is not really all that meaningful. It's not really what it's about. It's about, you know, doing your best. It's about being part of the community, being present, enjoying the experience. And I would hope that I can continue to do those things as as I get older. But um, there are certainly times when it feels like I've been there, done that, you know, at any given race. If you go back to a race the nth time, there's a part of you that enjoys being there, but there's a part of you that says, I've already done this so many times. What's the point? So there has to be a way to keep it fresh and keep it meaningful as well. And I don't really know what that means for me right now. I still, I kind of have some unfinished business at six day. I, I've never really run, I've run four six days 
And um, I haven't yet reached what I think is my potential. I've pretty much given up on setting the overall American record, which Joe Peaches has. And I tried for quite a while to do. Um, I pretty much think I'm, I'm past that window. That's okay. But um, I have yet to run a six day that I would say I ran a really good race the whole way. And I would kind of like to do that. Um, so that's out there still. Okay, cool. I'm going to six days in the dome next year. So awesome. Yeah. I've, I, I was like, my wife said, are you going to run all six days? I was like, yeah, I don't know how far I can go. I said, I'm yeah. not going to come anywhere near Joe Fiji's, but you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to lay down a good number. I know that. So, and I'll have a great time. Well, good luck. Yeah, that'll be fun. So let's kind of bring this to a close with kind of an oddball question for you. Okay. So you've got somebody who's getting ready to run their very first multi-day journey race. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest thing you would tell them to do? <laughs> you know, it would really depend on the person and their goals. But I guess if I had to generalize beyond that, I I would just say, open your heart and let this experience in and feel the gratitude that is appropriate for you being here and alive and able to do this um, because it's a special thing. That's awesome. Well, Bob, I thank you so much for joining us. I mean, this is this is such a privilege to get to talk to you and and uh, just pick your brain for a little bit. And I'm sure the listeners are absolutely going to enjoy it. So uh, thank you so much, Bob. Really appreciate you giving us some of your time. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time on Living an Ultra Life.